The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our second reading comes from Revelation, uh, chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, page 1075 uh, in your pew Bibles. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Well, hello, 6pm. My name is Andrew. Uh, it's great to have you join us in our series when we're looking at these real hard questions that people often have about the Christian faith. And today is a hard one. Where is God in my pain? I don't have to convince you that there is a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in our world. I don't have to convince you. When I think about my last few months as a pastor, just the last few months, I have sat with people who have been raped, who have suffered job loss, who've lost family members, who've been impacted by suicide, who've heard a cancer diagnosis, or are in the grip of a mental illness. Last weekend, there was an earthquake. Morocco, 2,000 plus people. Died. I don't have to convince you that there is a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in the world. And perhaps you're here tonight and this issue of pain and suffering, it's more of an intellectual question. So does pain and suffering disprove God? That's the intellectual question. It's a good question to ask. It's an important question. But there are other people here tonight, I'm sure that it's, it's actually not so much intellectual, it's, it's real for you. You're in suffering now or you have suffered, or you're in the deep valley 
of life. What's tricky is what you want to say, I think, about pain and suffering is a bit different. The person with the intellectual question versus the person who's in the middle of suffering themselves. Which I think is what makes this topic so, so tricky. And there's other people here who perhaps have never really thought about this issue of pain and suffering. You've never suffered in big ways. You will. We all will. But you haven't yet. And, and really, it's a time to wrestle with what the Bible and what God says about suffering. Because I tell you, it's much better to wrestle with it now than when the suffering comes. It's much easier to wrestle with it before the suffering actually hits you. It's been said that our culture is the least prepared culture across human history to deal with suffering. Out of all the cultures that are lived, it is our culture that is the least resilient, the least prepared to face pain and suffering. And so it's so important we grapple with this question. I remember talking to a neighbor, uh, and she said to me, I could never believe in a God after what happened to my son. Her son had died. She said to me, I could never believe in a God after what happened to my son. My heart broke for her. What she was articulating was a really common argument or question. It goes like this. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, why is there suffering and pain? Because if he was loving, he'd want to stop the pain and suffering. If he was powerful, he'd be able to stop the pain and suffering. So either God is loving, he wants to stop the pain, but he's just not powerful. He can't do anything about it. Or God is powerful, but he's just actually a bit of a jerk. And he just likes seeing people suffer. And he doesn't want to do anything about it. Either way, the God of the Bible, loving and powerful, does not exist because there's pain and suffering. You hear that kind of question before that argument? What would we say in response to that? Does the pain and suffering of our world disprove the existence of God? Here's a few quick thoughts. Firstly, can I just say, it is okay to wrestle with this question. If you're here tonight uh, and you're, you're wrestling with this, can I say it is really okay. When you become a Christian, you don't have to leave all of your doubts and all of your questions behind and just pretend like all your questions have gone. It's okay to come to God with these hard questions. In, in fact, in the Bible, there are people who are suffering and cry out to God with their doubts saying, God, why are you letting this happen? Have a look on the screen. Here's one example. This is Psalm 42. The psalmist is in great pain, and he says, Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Don't you love that? Even in the Bible, there's someone who's in pain, in suffering, is crying out to God, God, what are you doing? God, don't you care? And so tonight, you need to know, it's okay to wrestle with this. You can come to God with your anger, with your doubts, with your confusion. You can throw it at God, and he is, he's ready to listen. Second thought. Just because we can't see 
reasons why God would allow suffering to happen does not mean there are not good reasons. I mean, suppose you walked into a room and you, you came across a really gruesome sight of a man cutting off another man's leg. And your first reaction might be, oh my goodness, I've walked onto the set of a horror film or I'm about to watch a murder, murderer kill someone else. That might be your first response. But suppose then you got more information. Suppose you worked out that that man is not a murderer. He's a doctor. And he's not trying to kill that man. He's cutting off his leg to stop the spread of a deadly illness. You see how it changes everything? See, there are some things when it comes to pain and suffering that, that we just don't know. After all, we are not God. God is God. We are not. God has perfect knowledge of all things. And so it follows that we're not always going to be able to see the reasons why he allows suffering to happen. That does not mean there are not good reasons. Tim Keller, who just died from pancreatic cancer, he wrote this about suffering. He said, if you have a God great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then you have at the same moment a God great and transcendent enough to have good reasons for allowing it to continue that you can't know. Indeed, you can't have it both ways. See what he's saying? God may have loving reasons to allow it to happen. We may not know them. We may never know them. But that does not mean there are not good reasons. Here's the third thought about whether suffering disproves the existence of God. Is that this is actually a problem for everyone. Often we're given the idea that it's only the religious people that have to deal with this issue of pain and suffering. And that if, you know, you just gave up the idea of God altogether, then, then pain and suffering would be fine. You know, there's no issue anymore. I don't think that's true. I think pain and suffering is just as much of an issue for every person. If you're an atheist, you believe there is no God. You believe there's no ultimate purpose or meaning. There's no grand design we are essentially DNA and molecules, and, and we live in a world of natural selection where the strong destroy the weak, and that's just how it goes. Well, how do you account for suffering? I mean, how do you account for saying that it's wrong, that it's not right? More than just that it's unlucky or a bad event, but how, how do you say that it's wrong. I'm not saying that atheists don't care about suffering and, and don't want to stop people in suffering. Of course they do. But what logical reason does an atheist have for saying that suffering and pain is wrong? This is what Richard Dawkins says, famous atheist. He says this very thing. He says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference 
What's he saying? If there's no God, there's no evil, no good, no purpose, nothing but pitiless indifference, then, you know, some people are going to have a good life. Some people are going to suffer. They're going to get unlucky. There's no rhyme or reason. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't find that very satisfying. When I see 2,000 people die in an earthquake, I want to say more than just how unlucky. I want to say that should not be. Something is wrong about that. When someone gets murdered, I, I, I believe it is wrong. When in a world of natural selection where the, the strong defeat the weak, I, I, I want to say actually more than that. That it's actually wrong. When we suffer, I think, instinctively in us, we want to cry out, God, why me? Why am I suffering? This is not fair. This hurts. What reason does an atheist have to feel that suffering is truly unfair? And I think this, this issue of pain and suffering is an issue not just for the religious, it's an issue for everyone. But I think the Christian faith actually does give good answers. A good answer about why pain and suffering feels so very wrong. At the beginning of the Bible story, we see that God made a world free of pain and suffering. A perfect world. A world that was good. And he made you and I, he made humans in his image, precious, sacred, special, made for a relationship with him, our Father. But what we see is that every human has sinned against God. That relationship we were made for, we have, we've broken it. We've said to God, God, I don't want you. I don't want to serve you. I don't want to follow you. The Bible calls that sin, and it's something every person has done. And as a result... Our world, the good, perfect world that was made, is not that anymore. It is broken. It is groaning. When we see earthquakes, it is a symptom of a deeper problem. It is a symptom that all is not right with the world. That our world is groaning under the effects of sin. When we see someone get hurt, it is wrong because that person getting hurt is made in the image of God. Their life is precious and sacred. When someone dies close to us, why does it feel so upsetting? You hear people say, oh, death is just natural. It's just natural. Rubbish. It is not natural. We were not made to die. We were made to live. That is why death feels so wrong, so unnatural, like we've been robbed of someone precious to us because we were not made to die. The pain and the suffering we see is a symptom of our much greater problem, sinning against God pushing God out of our lives and the relationship we were made to have with him broken. 
I think the Bible gives some great answers about why pain and suffering is here and why it is painful. But you know, in the Bible, the main focus actually isn't this intellectual question. The main focus is not, does suffering disprove God? The main focus is, what is God doing about it? What is God doing about it? And if you're here tonight and you are suffering, can I say that I think what the Bible says about what God is doing about pain and suffering is just so comforting and so beautiful. Four things. Firstly, what is God doing about our pain and suffering? He understands. He understands. You know when you're sitting with a friend and you're sharing with your friend something that's going on in your life, something you're finding really hard, and that friend doesn't really get it. They've never really gone through it before. You know that experience? And you might be kind of sharing your problems and sharing your struggles, and they might be saying all the right things, you know, listening, saying to you, you know, sending positive energy your way, all that kind of empty stuff. But you know, I mean, they don't really get it. They don't really understand. But how different it is when you're sitting with a friend who has been through that very thing. It is so much more comforting because you know they truly get it. Well, friends, the beautiful thing about the Christian faith is that we have a God that's not distant. Uh, Not a God that doesn't know what is going on in our lives. We have a God who understands because he suffered. God has suffered. He gets it. This idea that God has suffered for a Muslim, it is laughable and it is deeply offensive. How could God suffer? This idea that God suffered for a Buddhist where you want to avoid suffering at all costs by detaching yourself from anything that might cause suffering, the idea that God would would come near into our world and suffer, I mean, that's ridiculous. But for a Christian, suffering, God's suffering, is the heart of what we believe. God has suffered. He understands. God entered our world in the person of Jesus Christ, entered our pain. He related with people who suffered. His best mate Lazarus died. And it says Jesus wept. And imagine that, God weeping. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, wept and sweated blood. He was that overcome. And then he died on the cross. And there he suffered a terrible, terrible death. When he was crucified, he experienced incredible physical pain. Crucifixion was one of the worst ways to die. It was a common way to die at that time. It was awful. The word excruciating that we have in our English language comes from crucifixion. It was so painful. But far worse is the spiritual pain he was going through. Because on the cross, 
he was dying for our sin. He was dying to bear the punishment for all of our sin. The one who has never sinned, dying in our place so we could be forgiven. He bore the weight of all the judgment of God that we deserve to pay. Imagine the spiritual pain of bearing the sins of the world. Physical pain, spiritual pain. It says this about Jesus in Isaiah 53. It says, Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Friends, who is Jesus? He is a man of suffering. He is familiar with your pain. He gets it. And so you can cry to him. You can yell at him. You can come to him for comfort. And he's not this distant God in the sky, separate from us, never experienced it. He truly, truly gets it. The perfect God who has suffered himself. Second thing God is doing about our pain is that he comforts us. He comforts us. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Picture yourself walking through the darkest valley, the greatest pain, and Jesus there by your side comforting you. He loves you. You are deeply precious to him, and he is comforting you through the darkness. As you're wheeled into that operating theater, he's holding on to you. As you sit and hear that cancer diagnosis, his rod and his staff are comforting you. As you're in the grip of a panic attack when everything seems out of control, he is holding on to you. Our God who comforts. Again, I don't think any of the other worldviews offer anything as comforting as this. If you're part of an Eastern religion, suffering is just karma. You kind of deserve it. And you should just try and make sure that in your next life, it's not as bad. I don't find that company. In atheism, when you're suffering, there's no ultimate God or anyone who's kind of with you through it. And so you've just got to try and still live your life of freedom and fulfillment, even if that's all being taken away. But the Christian faith says that in the worst moments of your life, in the darkest valley, you are precious and loved by your God. That he wants you to come to him. 
He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to comfort you. By the way, I think this is why, as Christians, we should be always ready to comfort others. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That word comfort's there a lot of times. What's it saying? It's saying God has comforted us, and so we should comfort others. You know, across history, Christians have been at the forefront of offering comfort to people in their pain and their suffering. That must continue. And I love looking at our church and seeing the ways in which people care for those who are sick or hurting or in pain or grieving. Church, keep it up. Because God, our God of great comfort, has comforted us, and we must be ready to comfort each other. Number three, what's God doing in our pain and suffering? He is growing us. He is growing us like a silversmith who produces silver in the furnace until all the impurities are taken out. So God, when we're in the pain and the fire, he is growing us. He is refining us. He is making us more like Jesus. Romans chapter 5 says this, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. An interesting verse. How is it that we can glory in our sufferings? It's because we know that God's at work. He's producing in us perseverance and character. He might be humbling us so that we depend on him. He might be teaching us. He might be showing us his love in ways we've never noticed before. He might be waking us up out of the comfort of the low and all shore to show us that there's actually more to life and bigger questions and bigger issues. He's at work. Now, this this doesn't mean that your pain all of a sudden goes away, by the way. It's not like when you're in pain, you can go, well, God's at work, he's growing me, and so this is no longer painful. It might still be just as painful. And you may never know what God is doing in your life. Or you may only find it out in hindsight. But this promise is still the same. That God has not left you in your suffering. He's at work in your heart. And so we can pray, God, I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know why you're going through this. And if it's, I'm going through this. And if it's your will, would you take it away from me? But even so, would you grow me through this? Would you strengthen my faith? Would you give me perseverance and patience? Would you make me more like Jesus? What's God doing? He understands. He comforts us. He grows us. And lastly, he gives us hope. You know how on the side of a milk carton, it's got the use-by date. Uh, I know everyone has kind of different opinions about how closely you should observe the use-by date. We've got a fridge upstairs, and I tell you, I don't know, it speeds up the use-by date. The, the milk just goes off there very quickly. 
And I had the great joy of watching Paul Dale make a cup of tea this morning and chunky milk come out into his tea. I'm the kind of person that like, if I see the use by date, I give like two day, or not two day, I give a day buffer. I don't drink it on the day of the use by date. It's got to like, you've got to have a day buffer. I know others of you, you know, you'll play it risky and still have the milk a few days later and you'll smell it. No, not taking the risk. When it comes to our suffering and pain, there is a use by date. There is an expiration date. There is an ending. It will not be around forever. Revelation chapter 21, it's the first verse I ever memorized as a Christian, and it's a beautiful one. It says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is a picture of when Jesus comes back. And on that day, there will be no more pain. He will make everything new. He will make everything like it was meant to be at the beginning of the Bible. In fact, even better. Imagine a world with no pain or death. Imagine a world with no suffering or crying. It's going to happen. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, defeated sin that causes all our suffering in the world and broken our world. He defeated it and he defeated death, which means we have the assurance and confidence that when he returns, death and suffering will be no more. When you get to heaven, the only thing you're going to bring with you, the only thing you're going to bring with you is your tears so that Jesus himself can wipe them away. Friends, this is our hope. This is our confidence. You know, when you suffer, suffering can take away everything. All the things you hope in, suffering can take it away. If you put your hope in money and live for that, suffering can take that away. If you put your hope in your family, suffering can take that away. If you put your hope in your health, well, we all know suffering can take away your health. But when you put your hope in Jesus and his return, suffering can never take that hope away. In fact, it does the opposite. Suffering just makes that hope grow. Suffering just makes that hope of Jesus coming back more beautiful, more glorious, more wonderful. It is a certain hope that suffering cannot touch. Everything will be all right in the end. When Jesus returns, everything will be all right in the end. 
whatever you are going through tonight, whatever darkest valley, Jesus is coming back. I cannot wait. And Christians throughout the ages have prayed, Maranatha, it's a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, bring on that day. Bring us to that perfect world where you wipe away our tears and the pain of this world will be no more. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, you are the God of all comfort. And we bring before you those here tonight who are in great pain, those who are suffering, those who are grieving and hurting. Father, you know these people. You know them better than they know themselves, and you know exactly what they're going through. We thank you that you understand. We thank you that you're at work and you're comforting us, and we pray you would be growing them to make them more like Jesus and giving them what they need to persevere. We pray that they would know your great comfort and your love, and that in the darkest valley, you are walking by their side. Lord, we pray that if it's your will, you would take away their pain and suffering. But if not, we trust you. And we pray as we look at our broken world and we look at our lives, we long for that day when Jesus will come back. Speed on that day when you will wipe away every tear. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.